35,000 decisions. That's the average number one adult makes a day. Some are minuscule, some are paradigm shifting. How many of those are we making though and we're not even considering the ripple effect they're setting into motion? For those of you that have made that ultimate decision to be a follower of Jesus, how many of those 35,000 are you actually thinking through and considering, does this move me closer to him or further away? She Chooses is a place purpose to help women harness our gift of free will by allowing God to open our eyes and give us the courage to make the choice that leads to obedience to his plan. That one that leads us to the promise of hope and future that God's laid out for each of us. Scripture tells us of a choice that a woman made, one that was so good it would not be taken from her. That, my friend, it sounds like it's too good to be true, but I promise it isn't. If you find yourself in a place where life seems to be obstructing that view and your current state is stuck, meet me here at She Chooses, where together we're going to work intentionally to make that good choice, the one that's leading us to choose Jesus over and over again. God has a lot to say about culture. One instance that speaks profoundly is the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Although our temptation to follow culture is not as in-your-face as what they experienced, it is just as powerful. Hey, She Chooses listeners, welcome back to part three of our series, Eyes of Fear and a Faith that Stands. I'm Jessica Hartzold, and I am so glad to get to spend a little bit of time with you as we are wrapping up this three-part series, studying the life or the message that we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Hebrew men that stood in the face of the fiery furnace that were not just stood there, but they were thrown into it and miraculously they were able to come out of that furnace and we're just looking to see what is it that they knew that we don't that they had that we need to get so when we face those fiery situation where situations where it seems like all of hell is staring at us telling us to bow down how can we maintain that stance where we are not willing to bow My husband and I experienced a scary part of parenting a couple years back. One of our daughters, she had, she experienced a head injury, one that caused her to be unresponsive for probably, probably only lasted a few seconds, but felt like eternity as we sat there waiting for her to respond. Now, although the seconds of unresponsiveness were probably more like 10, they truly did feel eternal. As I sit and I reflect over that moment from time to time, you know, I I think about it and I can recall hearing my mom yell that she was hurt. I remember running to her and what I saw causing me to lay my hands on her and verbally call out the name of Jesus over and over and over again. As I did, I remember our friend, our children's pastor, holding her head still. I remember my husband running over to my side. 
I remember my dad calling 911 and I remember the, the distant voice of my sweet, precious friend praying for God's intervention and praising God for his certain help. I remember my sister-in-law coming behind us and saying we needed to pray. And I remember the police officer that was there in just a moment of time and the faces of each of the emergency workers that showed up as they worked to evaluate her condition. And I remember the people I met for the first time that night who were in that same room. And for a moment, I wondered, did they think our response was odd? I I don't know the answer to that question, just as I, I don't really know them. But that question running across my mind, it makes me twinge as it soberly reminds me of the culture of the world that we live in. I know undoubtedly my God is real and his instruction to us is to pray. And I, I am also very aware of our culture that attempts to tell us to stick our faith in a box. It tries to place boundaries on just how far we are allowed to go and just how much is acceptable when it comes to demonstrating our faith. God has a lot to say about culture. One instance that speaks profoundly is the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Although our temptation to follow culture is not as in-your-face as what they experienced, it is just as powerful. These three men found themselves in a culture that was completely different from what they had always known and what they knew to be right. In their place of captivity, God was not seen as the one true God, and living for him was certainly not popular, which possesses a striking resemblance between our lives and where we at times find our own. When taken captive in Babylon, these, these young men were seen as wise. Their wisdom was apparent. It was that wisdom that they had that caused those Babylonians to take notice. And this led them along with Daniel to be selected for this special three-year training that it was purposed to impart knowledge, teaching, and prepare them to serve in the royal palace. Part of this training, however, it involved this special diet of food that came from the king's own kitchen, made up of food that was contrary to the dietary laws that were followed by the Israelites. If you've studied dietary laws in the Old Testament, then you understand they're a big deal. And this training was from the king. And that made it necessary for them to go through to be qualified for this service. But what we find as we study their account is that God didn't depart from them while they were in that captive state. And these men, they didn't have to bow to the culture of their time. Instead, God chose to give them favor, and they were allowed to continue to follow obediently to their own dietary laws, and were still placed in a service of the royal palace. However, just as it seems like we can't catch a break from time to time, the same was true for them. They overcame the hurdle that they were facing with the food and all of that, only to run into another. And this one involved King Nebuchadnezzar and the idol that he had erected and demanded that all the people bow down to and worship of. So let's take a moment. I, want, I would just want to spend a moment comparing then to now. How does this connect to us? Does it connect to us? The answer is yes, it absolutely connects to us. And, and here's what I see. Back then, these Hebrew men, they were shown new customs to follow. 
first they were tempted with their appetite of hunger with these new foods to eat. Food that came from the king's own kitchen. I cannot even imagine the delicacies that they chose to give up. The second thing, they were submerged in this Babylonian learning. This instruction is what was going to prepare them to hold this esteemed position, a position that could easily have appealed to their carnal mind. The third thing I see is they were told to fall down in worship before this statue. And if they chose not to, they were going to be thrown into this fiery furnace. So that's what was happening then. And here's what I see happening now. We are shown less obvious new customs to follow, and and these come through these various lures that appeal to our natural cravings, you know, our appetite for greatness, for self-rule, instant gratification, all of these things serving as idols that are begging to be erected in our lives, just waiting for us to fall down in worship of, you know, requiring no self-sacrifice, a whole lot less rejection, and absolutely no pushing against the grain of society whatsoever. So what did these men understand? I see it in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. They understood this. Even though this wasn't spoken until the New Testament, they absolutely had this sown within their very existence. It says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. These men, they understood that God's kingdom was not to be built by satisfying a natural appetite. They knew without doubt that following the customs of this world, the instant gratification it offered was not the path to true greatness. And they understood that there was more hope in that fiery furnace than what could be found by bowing down to some man-made idol. They had zero desire for King Nebuchadnezzar's acceptance. And they understood there was no greater path for living this life than the one revealed to them through the Lord. And this, my friends, this is a place we have got to allow God to bring us to as well. Do we believe he'll bring us to that? A question to ponder, a, a question to think about, to challenge yourself with. I believe that he will bring us to that place. Because if we want to live authentic lives for Christ, this truth is what we must come to understand and accept. The statue that Nebuchadnezzar made had no ability to do anything for the people of Babylon, which is exactly the same as the idols of this world. The idol of acceptance, money, careers, uh, success, prosperity, romance, image, all of these things are absolutely powerless false gods that try to lead us away from the one true God that is all-powerful, all-able, and all-sufficient. So what's the difference between us and them? Something that just absolutely overwhelms me when I read about their lives is how they held tight and they did not go alone into that battle. They took something with them and that something was the word of God. 
whether they held a physical copy of it or only what they had intentionally worked to hide within their hearts. It really doesn't matter, in my opinion, what the case was. All that matters is that they took it with them and they did not keep it in a box. They took what was in that book or sewn in their heart and they activated it when they chose to rely on what it said and what they had learned in their personal relationship with the Lord. When they allowed it out of that book or out of their heart, it transformed that word that they had so intentionally learned and grown to love. It transformed into a weapon that gave them the ability to stand when they were told to bow. If that's not enough for you, if the Old Testament seems so far that you struggle to see how it connects to us, I want you to consider for a second our Savior, Jesus, God wrapped in the flesh. He endured temptation in the wilderness. Jesus, the one who came to die so that we can live, the one who provided a pattern for us to to follow, he experienced these very same temptations, the ones that the one that tried to appeal to his flesh, his carnal mind, and tried to show him a new God to follow. He walked through it in just the same. He used his very own word, which when activated became a sword that destroyed every attempt of the enemy who tried to deceive him. I wonder for a moment if you find yourself in a place that maybe you're tempted to bow to the gods of our our culture, the God of bitterness, social acceptance, tolerance, inactivity, negativity, self-love, instant gratification, or political correctness, all of that. Maybe you're afraid of what others will think if you choose not to take part in a gossip session, bowing down to the idol that one erects. Or maybe you're battling the struggle that keeps... It tells you to keep your mouth shut when the Lord asks you to speak a word of encouragement as you bow down to the idol of fear. Maybe you're afraid to open your mouth in prayer in fear of what others will think and you begin to bow down to the idol of acceptance. Or maybe you've been persuaded to hide the light of the gospel, the one that God has revealed to you, but you are too afraid to speak due to the idol of political correctness that stands so tall. If you find yourself mulling any of this, I want to encourage you today to read these, read about these three men and understand with absolute certainty that the temptation they faced and what we face today, although less apparent, is the same. And the weapon they use to maintain their stance for the Lord is the exact same one that we have waiting for us to take up. In fact, this is a piece of the armor of God that so many of us forget to put on. And it sits within reach every day. It's the sword of the spirit. The one that possesses the ability to destroy the hand of the culture that tries to gain a hold, a hold of us, stripping us of our faith. I wonder today if you would be willing to make time Sit, sit at the foot of God's throne in prayer. Open his word and allow it to wash your mind of the things of this world. Let it open your heart. Let it strengthen your stance so that when temptation comes to you and begins to appeal to those carnal desires, those carnal desires that all of us have, that we all have to work to maintain and to keep in check, that you'll identify the powerful choice that possesses the good part that will not be taken from you. 
I want you today to to choose to sit at Jesus's feet in obedience. And when you do, that you would find that the God we see so mighty in the battle for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as he walked with them through that fiery furnace, the God who has no need for us, yet he wants us, is this same God that stands willing to do this the same exact thing for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2 in the message version says, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's what these Hebrew men did so well. They fixed their attention on the Lord, full of intention and focus. So, Back to my original thought for today, was our response to our daughter's injury odd to these newfound friends of ours? I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe they're Christian. We've not gotten to the point in our relationship yet that I know that. But what I do know is my daughter is perfectly fine. And these beautiful people have genuinely and warmly reached out to our family to ask how she's doing. And it's given us an opportunity to testify that God is our protector. God is our healer. What I also know is that this world is hungry for more. And the more that we have inside of us, the more Jesus we have inside of us, it's the more that they will never see if we choose to shove our faith into the box where culture says we should. And that, my friends, is sad. It's a sad, sobering truth that I refuse to accept. And I hope you'll do the same. So join me today when you see a choice to be made, whether to follow this world or follow Jesus. My prayer for you today is that you would be bold, that you would choose to let your faith become evident through obedience and choose Jesus above the noise and customs of our culture. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend with me. I appreciate it so much. I pray that this episode was able to encourage you in some way, shape, or form. And I ask if it has, would you just please take a moment and leave a review? Let others know what you think about the podcast. Because when you do, what it does is it elevates this podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find encouragement to their day. 